Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we have a sensational discussion with iFast Physical Therapy's Bill Hartman. Bill and I are going to get right to it, and we are going to talk about return to play protocols. Uh, Bill starts out, you know, sharing with us how they work with people at iFast and how the return to play protocol is fit in with the entire program that they have there at iFast. You know, and he gets into how the two, both therapy and training, connect and what evaluations they use with their athletes to make sure that they are safely progressing them towards this return to play in their sport. Next, he gets into uh, you know individualization and how that's the focal point of everything that they do. And of course, guys, it, it wouldn't be right if we didn't sit down and talk about All Gain No Pain, an awesome product that Bill just put out. So this is an absolutely killer talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Bill, thank you so much for being on with us today, bud. Hey, thanks for having me, Jay. Always great to talk to you. Yeah, man. Well, listen, I, I think one thing that we can talk about for a while here that could help a lot of strength coaches is if we talk about some return to play protocols and like getting people back into the action, whether it be back into the weight room or actually where it matters, like back onto the competitive field. Well, that's the only place it matters, right? Yeah, no doubt about it, right? So let's talk about that because you guys have a pretty awesome setup out there in Indianapolis with everything being under one roof. Let, let's right. talk about how Bill handles it and how IFAST looks at things, and, and let's let's go from there. Okay. Well, I mean, it, it it's incredibly straightforward because we do have therapy in-house, and then, you know, I, I got, you know, my, my business partner, Mike Robertson – you know, handles the oversees all the, the the training side of things, and and uh, you know we'll we'll take an athlete from from day one if we need to. I rarely do the post surgicals. I'll I'll be honest with that, just because my my therapy business is a cash is a cash based business, so um, it's it's not ideal for that early phase of the of the recovery. Um, what I usually tell folks is is that uh, you know come in. You know, after you've done all the primary stuff where you're starting to, to uh, break back into some of the more dynamic activities, and that's where we really start to make, make the impact. Um, a lot of times, and, and we've run into this because of the limitations of insurance-based therapy, is a lot of people are discharged before um, they're, they're ready for return to play, and a lot of them don't even have a place to go to make that transition and and then to restore every aspect of their of their level of performance. So again, it, it 
we have a we have a nice little setup in that regard. If you want to distinguish between the two sides of things, where we have the rehab on the one side and then the the uh, um, the sports training on the other, what I look at my role is is to expand the variability of that human as much as possible. So a lot of people still come to us with limitations. They may have limitations in joint range of motion. So if we got like a post ACL or whatever, and a lot of them may not have that full comfortable flexion or that full hyperextension that you want to see in an athlete, um, you know, we're, we're working on trying to regain that through the entire the, the exposure of the entire system. And, and we're talking about you know, respiration. We're talking about thorax mobility. We're talking about pelvic orientation and mobility, and not just the knee. Because a lot of times when we're, when we're looking at a patient, we can't really tell what is driving that limitation per se. We understand the, the, the mechanics of things, you know, how the knee may function, but we don't know what the driving force may be as to um, why movement in general, or, or if we can categorize it as movement variability, the ability to, to adapt and change, why it would be limited. So my role is to expand that variability as much as possible. Because again, I don't know what the limiting factor is. I don't know what the limiting system is. And a lot of times when, when, we, when we take this approach, it makes all these changes a little bit easier. So, so you know, I may have a, the influence of a hip or the influence of a thorax um, that may be affecting the knee. So they've lost the ability to, to adapt through the, the rib cage. And so we restore that. And then suddenly we've got access to both hips. And then the knee itself no longer has to maintain its compensatory motion in the transverse plane. And then that allows us to get back the sagittal plane extension flexion that they were missing in the first place. So that's my role. And then once we've achieved that, then we try to transition them into more of the, just the reconditioning phase, which is what we have out in the sports training realm. And, and what we'll do then is we just do periodic follow-ups between what I do in, in my PT room and then what they do out in the, the gym. And then we make this, this nice smooth transition where, where we talk about restoring a, a, a broad spectrum of variability to the system in, in my realm we may actually have to narrow some of that variability in the performance realm because we're, we're talking about like a specific type of athlete. And I'll give you two extremes. Say I'm working with a high jumper versus a soccer player. So, so with a high jumper, I have a very specific realm within which they function. So it's very, very narrow. The, the only run-up they have is, is their approach to the bar. Um, it's very explosive. Um, very, very limited in, in regards to what is necessary from a mobility standpoint. Whereas if, if they have too much variability, then they have too much that they have to control. And therefore, their sagittal plane propulsion may be, may be limited in that regard because now they have to control all three planes. So we may actually have to reduce some variability from the rehab to the, to the performance round. Whereas with a soccer player who has broad spectrum needs from high to low power outputs, um, broad base aerobic conditioning to to high speed stuff where we need to maintain a little bit more of that broad spectrum of variability so so again we have to train them a little bit differently uh, um, in, in that approach but if, if you want to look at it on a on a simple scale um, rehab is going to be spending most of its time expanding variability sports training is going to sort of optimize or, or narrow that variability that's awesome so now 
let, let's take a step back. And I think that those two examples are, are perfect for us to keep going with. Okay. So when you take someone through that realm of therapy into the point where they're now developing more of the, dare we say, sports-specific qualities. Sure. How do you connect those two realms? And mm -hmm. in what ways are you guys evaluating these individuals? Sure. And then how do the limitations placed upon them due to the prior circumstances manipulate those evaluations? Okay. So, so we're going to do a lot of the standard stuff from a performance standpoint once they reach that capability, right? So, you know, we're going to do some, some jump based testing or we're going to do some energy, energy system based testing or, or something to that effect. Right. So, so we have a, a, a standard of comparison, right? So think of all the, all the categories of, of abilities that, that you could think of from flexibility to strength to power to, you know, compensatory activities and such. We're going to make a, a direct comparison between where they are now and where we, we perceive them to need to be. And we can try to base that off of previous information if we have that available to that or, or we're going to have to project. Um, and again, we just make our, our best model in that regard. There's, there's unfortunately not always a, a right and wrong in that regard. But I also have a standard from, from when they first see me and then I have uh, uh, elements of change over time. And so what I'm going to do, and this is done on an individual basis, is I'm going to look at key indicators um, from my perspective in regards to um, how I would assess the, the, the motor system, which is, which is through range of motion. So, so I have certain tests that I'll monitor on a regular basis. And then I'll be able to tell. It's like, okay, are we, are we narrowing this athlete's variability because of all the stressors that are being applied? Or are we maintaining that variability because we're managing it really, really well? And, and so we have to combine our, our physical performance tests that we would do, you know, it, from our end game standpoint, like our, like I said, our jumps and our energy based uh, activities. And we have to, to also uh, consider the, the previous test that that told us like okay we have a variable motor system or we have an invariant mo motor system and then we just try to optimize it, this is you know people want to say like okay here's this standard of measurement here's exactly what it should be and we live in this realm of of the unfortunate unknown in many cases because of the complexity of of athletic performance there's so many factors that influence an outcome you know, a lot of times we may not even know right away what is going to stand out, what is going to make the difference. And so we measure a lot of stuff. We keep measuring a lot of stuff. And then we see, you know, what, what changes are made, what looks favorable. If we find something that's favorable, then we amplify that. We, we keep doing stuff in that, in that general um, category of, of activity because we want to reinforce good stuff. If we find something that appears to be promoting a, a, a negative outcome that may interrupt with the, the end performance, then we want to dampen that, that strategy. So again, there's, there's no right or wrong. What we have is this, this continuous algorithm based on the information that we can acquire, the information that appears to be meaningful, and then what we perceive as, as the end game. It would be really, really nice 
if we had this rule book that we could consider. But but the reality is, is we just don't have that. And so we have to what we do is we run each individual as their own experiment. And and again, we, we model what we would consider the ideal performance. And then we try to approach that model as much as we can. That's fascinating because I think that a lot of people right now listening are used to hearing the once you can go 90 or 95% on the hop stop, then you're ready for X and Y and Z or whatever these like predetermined norms are. Right. Well, if we we have that information beforehand, Jay, we can use that as, as our model, right? But what if we don't have that? So we don't know where they were. We don't know what their capabilities were were ahead of time. And and again, I'm not negating that information at all. I'm not saying it's not a value. I'm just saying that we don't really know. And so we have to create this 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 best case scenario that we do have. So I can fall back on those standards. You know, I can I can say that okay, um, we estimated your uh, anaerobic threshold, even though it doesn't exist. We es- estimated that at such and such a a heart rate. And so I want to train you at this level for such and such an output. And we're going to develop this energy system, even though we don't really know if that's the energy system that you're using at the time. Um, cause we can't tell, you know, and we said, we have all these, all these maybes and ifs. And again, I'm not negating anything. It's like, that's just part of the model that we have to construct that we're going to base off our decisions off of. And we just have to make the best decisions that we have available to us. Like I said, I, I wish there was, there was this one, you know, standard that we could use. We just don't have it. No, that's awesome. And I love the fact that you said, well, we don't have that information because that's something back when Art ran BSMPG, there was one of those after events. And I sat there with Eric Helland and we talked about that for mm-hmm. like, it, it could have been five minutes. It could have been three hours. I mean, you know how it can get when you talk with E. Uh, and uh, and that's like both like what we just kept saying is it's like, but we don't ever sit there and have these quantified things that we know we're going to look at later before. Right. And I think that that's so important. Yeah. I, and, but, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, we, if we, if we have a picture of what that athlete was prior to, um, you know, and, and we've got an understanding of, of where they are, we do have a, a better constructed model, but but again, we have to get comfortable with with not knowing, mm-hmm. and and I think that's one of the hardest things to explain. You know, I take I take students every semester, and 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 you know they've been they've been drilled in school um, based on the on the standards that they have to, they'd have to to learn. Um, for, for their boards exam. And, and so they have to learn in these absolutes and then they get out into the clinic and then they realize that, okay, here's a dose of reality. Um, that didn't work. And, 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 uh, you know, we have these tests that are supposed to tell us these things and they're just not terribly accurate. And so, you know, I think the, the most impactful thing that we can start to, to accept is, is especially when we're working with someone that's transitioning from a, a rehab environment to a, a sports training environment is that we still have to look at them as, as this unique individual with unique experiences and, and they're not going to progress at the same rate that someone else will. And, and, you know, their, their challenges while 
you know, we can look at all ACL reconstructions as, as similar, you know, from the, the, the procedure, we can't look at the athletes as, as being identical and progressing at the same rates and, and at the same standard, um, that, that, that we would hope that we could do. Oh yeah, no doubt. Because the problem with the protocol is the protocol is for an end of one in every situation. Right. Right. And that, and that's the phrase that I always use too. It's, it's, it's like everybody's their own experiment. We don't, we don't, you know, so here's the problem with it, with, with science and, and, and I, I love science and I consult it all the time. We have to stay informed because science provides, you know, answers to why and, 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 but, but practice is driven by practitioners and coaches. You know, we're the ones that, that, you know, determine the hypotheses that get tested because we do things and like some things work and some things don't. And we just want to know why, but science defaults to the average. And I would hazard to guess Jay, that the group of people that you work with on a regular basis, rarely, rarely would fall into that category as average. Now you're going to have a broad spectrum of people, but, but you, you know, as well as I do that the exceptional people that you're exposed to on a regular basis, you know, you write to, or you put two guys on the same program and you get two different outcomes. Mm-hmm. And and one guy's going to be like this high responder and the other guy's not going to have any response or he's going to have this negative response. And, and you know, well, we have to accept that fact. And again, even when you're working with large groups, we have to find ways to, to uh, uh, identify specific needs and modify what we may look at as this overarching generalized uh, model and then try to gain some elements of individualization to allow everybody to, to make the progress that, that, that we expect them to. So then how would you personally deem that individualization to be driven? Because I think that that's something that a lot of people look at in a lot of different lights. Yeah. Well, I, I, again, I, I think that, you know, we turn somebody into their own experiment. We try to collect enough data so we have a starting point and then it, it's a process. And as long as we have a process involved, then that that's, that's going to be um, our, our greatest advantage. If we try to pigeonhole somebody into one specific system, um, we're going to have some good outcomes. We're going to have some bad outcomes, but if we can, if we can develop a process um, where we have multiple elements that we can influence. So, so, you know, I might use, uh, a certain set of assessment tests on one individual and they might not even apply to the next individual just because of the demands of their sport, the uniqueness of their, of their body structures. You know, you take a, a six foot eight basketball player and compare them to a five foot eight soccer player. They test radically differently in many cases, and then they have some similarities too. And so I have to take all of those things into consideration. So, so the, the, the real key, um, while we try to, you know, narrow the, the influences within, within the group, we, we still have to look at people as individuals. Oh, no doubt. And it's funny that you picked five, eight and six, eight with a soccer player and a basketball player, because you're dealing with a guy that's about five, eight, that used to play soccer who, works with basketball players for a living now. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you know, you know it better than anybody. It's huge difference. I mean, just that trying to manage that extra foot of height without 
a significant change in the base of support. Oh. It, it, it's it's a tower, you know, compared to a, a, a short building. It, it's, I mean, the, just the demands placed on on every system involved. I mean, put it, take your vestibular system at five foot eight, raise it up, you know, stand on a, mm-hmm. on a 12 inch chair and tell me if your perspective doesn't radically change. Tell me if your demands for balance don't radically change. Well, how are you going to manage that system? You know, if, if I'm a foot taller and, and just as narrow, it's, it's, it's totally different. So again, we, we, we can't, we can't say that, okay, he's an athlete, all their demands are the same. They should be trained the same. There are certainly common elements. No question about that. I, I get that part. But there's also going to be those individualized elements that make them unique. It's just like, you know, trying to work with with, you know, five different golfers. There's elements of a golf swing that have to be there. But there's also going to be those elements that make it entirely unique to that person as to whether they're successful or not with a golf swing. Oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, it's funny because you're talking about taller guys. And what's wild in our situation is the taller people tend to be the better squatters and benders because for the most part, they're not the springy elastic, you know, the, the, the guys you call freaks that just bounce all over the place. Right. Meanwhile, you've got your guards or your tweeners, like your two, three guys mm-hmm. who are so explosive and, you know, max jump 45 and a half inches, but like they couldn't get to parallel on a squat if they had, you know, three different elephants on their shoulders, you know? And it's like, why are you round peg and square holes with these cats? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to look at what you're going to see is, is that there's going to be that, that group of guys that are, that are like excellent in functioning in the sagittal plane. And then there's going to be those guys that, that are lousy in the sagittal plane, but they have all these other capabilities of compensation in the other planes. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that is totally acceptable. Compensatory movement is a very normal process of problem solving, and especially for these high-level athletes because they have to find ways around. Like Again, managing six foot eight is, is a difficult process. And so for, for, for me to find a movement strategy – it's not going to be the same movement strategy that I would that I would use if I was five foot eight. It's just not. It's not even remotely possible. I mean, just the 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 mechanics are different. The 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 forces are different. So you know, we have to accept that fact. Like I said, in in when you have the hardest job, I think, in in all of sports, when you look at the the large groups that you have to deal with and and the management process that you have to go through, it's got to be virtually. Uh, 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 I, frustrating would be like an understatement, I'm sure, at times um, where you've got, you know, 50, 60 people in there at a time and you have to meet everybody's needs and you have to create, um, you know, foundations for everyone, but yet still try to, you know, influence some element of individualization. Yeah. And I think, though, that that's where communication and being able to stagger yourself in a way becomes most important. I mean, I think that, you know, not to keep saying his name, but Eric brought it up in our conversation uh, on the podcast. It's these kids are the PhDs of their sport. I mean, there's not many five, nine guys from upstate New York who made it real big in basketball, you know? Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's, well, I don't think Paulus is that much taller and he did pretty well, but I mean, other than him, you know, it's, 
it's understanding that taking a step back and talking to these athletes and actually like listening like to what's working and what's not and what right. what you could do better for them. I mean, it's right. and that's kind that, of a, a way I've taken it with most of my kids. Can I ask you a question? Go ahead. Okay. How much how much do you think that your your culture? You how many years you've been there? Fifteen years. Fifteen years. Okay, so you've had some time. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not like your 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 first year gig, your second year gig. It's like you've had, you've had time to to evolve a culture, and and don't you think that that some of the weight is lifted from your shoulders because you get to evolve so many so many kids from from the ground level when they come in the door, like like your kids that have been in the program like you know two three four years that that they can provide some element of of uh, I, I I hesitate to use the word coaching because it doesn't replace you, but but as far as no, the information, word, though. as far as you get the inf- that you probably get a better quality of information back, um, and and that might be how you're problem solving. Do you think that's that's part of the element? I think that is, and I think the other thing too is that we really value the principles of what's behind what we're doing, and that's what we try to educate them in the most. I mean, obviously the techniques and progressions and all of that is excessively right. important. But when they understand the general principles behind what we're doing and they can look at things and talk to me about their sporting exercise right, and fit it in with what we're doing in training and the principles. And this goes for, you know, field hockey. It goes for swimming and diving. It goes for the basketball guys. And it even went for the tennis kids I was working with. Like they can break down, for example, the conversations that a lot of the women I had uh, on Saturday with the swimmers were they're breaking down off the wall or they're spilling out on their stroke. So they know that like a backstroker isn't finishing through with their catch that's like slipping out, not going. So we talk about, okay, what's involved in the movement? What can we put in? And then the next question is always, well, if we're going to add, what are we going to take out? Like, what isn't working for you? And I think that being able to ask them those questions builds even more of that, um, I don't know, trust, buy-in, understanding. And then really they just talk about it every other week with me. And it's like, hey, when I'm not getting better either in the water and or at the exercise that we're asking to help in the water – what should we do? And the answer is always like, well, if we're still getting better in the water, let's just keep progressing or let's just change it. Cause at the end of the day, most of what we do is just general in nature anyway. Right. So if it's not eliciting the response we want, what are we doing it for? Right. Well, and again, I I think, I think that we're talking about a a very similar process. We just do it in a little bit more of an, of of an acute scenario where, where I can, I can focus on the one guy because I don't have to train these big groups. I granted, we do have some team oriented stuff that, that we, that we deal with as well. But, but uh, you're, you're just getting the, the, the same information from a little bit bigger group and, and, and able to apply it in, in your realm. And, and like, you're asking the same questions. You're getting the same information that I'm getting. I just have to talk to one guy. Yeah. But I think that's important whether you're talking to one person or a hundred people, because like we all talk about individualization and that's why I asked that question earlier because to, to many people, individualization is, well, Bill and Jay are both squatting eight doubles in their dynamic effort box squats, but 
Bill's 50% is 250, Jay's 50% is 150, so it's individualized for him versus Jay, and it's like, well, is it, or is it just the same thing, just scaled? I got you. Hey, thanks for giving me the bigger squat, too, by the way. I appreciate hey, that. Hey, man, I, I saw the video <laughs> on Facebook this weekend outside, barefoot, getting <laughs> after it. I, I can't compete at that. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> But speaking of training, there's another thing that we have to touch upon because if I don't, I'm going to be mad at myself, and that's the book. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I got a book. About, yeah, allegedly, there's a book out by Bill Hartman right now. Let's talk about where the idea came from and yeah. uh, and what drove it. Okay, real simple. Um, there's there's two questions that I that I get asked on a regular basis, and and part of it is because you know, my office is in the fitness and sports training facility. So, so we get a lot of people that are chronic exercisers that, that are dealing with pain or injuries. <clears throat> and the, the two, two questions I get is, can, can I keep exercising? And if so, what should I do? And then at discharge, it's like, what do I do now? And that's not a five minute conversation. Yeah. Right. And, and it turned out that it's a 20 chapter uh, conversation. So, so that's what I did. I just, I, 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 I took the, the best answer that I could come up with that would work for the most people that, that I encounter. And I took, I, I, I took my most common patient, which would be your basic over 40 guy that exercises on a regular basis and he wants to make his comeback. And so, so that's who I wrote it for. Now we, we find out, you know, through exposures, it, it's been out for, a little over three weeks, maybe three and a half weeks. And we found out that a lot of women are buying the book and I appreciate that. And, and it certainly is, is applicable. But again, my, my target was, was my primary, my, my primary model patient, if you will. Um, but that's basically why I wrote it because now the answer is, um, just read this. And, and so what I did is I actually created the process. It's like, okay, you're done with therapy here's where you start. This is step one, you know? And, and so we established some principles to rebuild a foundation of resilience first. That has to come first. Think about this. Intensity is easy. I don't care how old you are. It's always easier to work harder than to do the, the due diligence of building a foundation of resilience and resilience represents the comeback. It is the comeback. If you look up the definition of resilience, it is it is the restorative component. And we're already exposed to stressors. It's like the last thing I need to do is expose you to another stressor, potentially cause you to develop limited uh, uh, movement capabilities and start to overload tissues again or experience pain again. And so, so that's why it's structured that way. Then once we develop those those elements, we can superimpose the intensity back on top of it in a much safer um, uh, pattern of activity um, because now we have this foundational resilience that will prevent the stress associated with the intensity from being overwhelming and put us right back where we started. So that's, in a nutshell, that's the essence of the book. No, and that's awesome. And I love the fact, you know, just like we were talking about before, that it's all principle-based and it's given people the opportunity to do what they got to do and, 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 you know, move forward and make better decisions for themselves 
as long as they understand the principles of it. Now, where can people grab a copy of this, Bill? Um, it is actually on Amazon right now. If you if you just plug it, go to Amazon, you, you plug in the search engine, All Gain, No Pain, it should come up. Um, it is, thanks to so many people, it is now an Amazon bestseller. Um, so that's pretty cool. It's like number one in a bunch of categories. So I appreciate I appreciate the interest uh, in that. I can't, I, I can't thank people enough. And then um, from there, um, they can. There's there's links. And it's a Kindle book right now. We're working on the paperback. Um, so uh, there's links in the Kindle book to get you to a a uh, membership area of my website for free. And we got a little Facebook group going. That's a private private Facebook group for for readers of the book. So. You got a nice little process there, so you get all your questions answered because there's no such thing as a perfect book, and um, you know we're we're here to take care of them. Yeah, no, that's fantastic, and Bill, this is awesome stuff, man. I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today, buddy. This is this is great. People are gonna love it. Well, I appreciate you having me, Jay. I really do. Yeah, man. Well, thank you very much, and we will be in touch real soon. Okay. And a huge thanks to iFast Physical Therapy's Bill Hartman for sitting down with us today. Guys, just fantastic stuff. Open, honest, candid sharing, you know, bringing it right to where we want to be. And that's looking at the athlete and how we can help them get better. Cannot thank Bill enough for being so open and honest and candid with us today. Absolutely fantastic stuff. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Again, guys, we're just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. So do us a favor and hit that share button, hit that like button. And if you do enjoy the talks, guys, and you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review on iTunes or Podomatic. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.